Welcome to Fast Fiction. The Honourable Thing. The Spouse Trap Series. He stood upright. Like a brigadier general, though to my knowledge he had never served in the armed forces, in fact he gave the appearance of never having taken an order in his life. Giving them was more his style. Perhaps I was biased. I had never liked him, even though he was certainly eccentric, quality I usually favoured. His loud, booming voice penetrated the group around him. No, can't stand the smell. Like a taste, but won't tolerate the smell. Hovers in the house all day. So, Douglas, where do you cook your toast if you don't allow it to be cooked in the kitchen? A colleague asked the question with a wry smile, sharing her interest with the others. Ah, Irma takes charge of that problem. Quietly, his wife Irma confirmed that she would have to take the bread down two flights of stairs to the laundry, plug in the automatic toaster. Wait for the toast to cook, then hurry back upstairs, trying to keep it warm. The group stood quietly enthralled at such dominance. This was a new peccadillo to add to the Douglas Fraser stories. At the last encounter, he had taken pride in his account about arrangements for his father's funeral. Apparently, he had been so appalled at the rising cost of burial sites and tombstones, he had bought an adjoining plot for his aging mother. Then, taking advantage of the financial incentive, had designed a double headstone with all details of both parents, except the date of his mother's demise. And in order to gain maximum discount, he had also brought another double plot and matching tombstone for both he and Irma. You see, people don't plan ahead, and it's important to get the facts right. He told me earnestly when cornering me at his father's wake. I found myself nodding agreement, but excusing myself from his company as quickly as possible. Being a close friend of the family, I was to meet him and Irma again quite shortly on the occasion of his nephew's marriage to my niece. The reception was jolly, with much light-hearted banter, until I found myself alone with Fraser and his wife. We exchanged pleasantries, and being polite, I asked him of the health of his mother. Oh, fine, fine! It's quite encouraging to see her so fit. I think she'll last until she's eighty-five, like Dad. I nodded enthusiastically, muttering my good wishes, and made attempt to move on to more agreeable company. But this was not to be. He showed every indication he wished to continue the conversation. It's useful when parents follow the same patterns. It makes planning one's own retirement that much easier. He then went on to say that he had just retired and was now in the process of readjusting his and Irma's fiscal affairs to the best advantage for their twilight years. I've turned all my assets over to the bank, he said smugly, and arranged for them to pay me an annual dividend, including compound interest, for the next twenty-five years. Which will bring Irma and I up to eighty-five. That way, we can enjoy a prosperous retirement without the worry of leaving a will. At first.
first, this seemed an admirable plan, especially as they had no children. However, I could not help but ask, what happens if you both live until 86 and beyond? He admitted, gruffly, that he hadn't worked this out thoroughly, but as it was early days, he felt he would be able to get this small matter under control when it became more relevant. We did not meet again until his mother's funeral, which was indeed a few days after her 85th birthday. When speaking with him, he seemed quite jubilant that his predictions had been correct. Irma again stood quietly at his side. She participated little in the conversation until I asked her how retirement was going. Her face seemed to take on a dark, almost hunted look, as Fraser recounted his strictly regimental day, now spent at home. Fortunately, my financial plan is working admirably, so money is hardly a problem, he said with arrogance. We can look forward to the next twenty years quite comfortably. Irma nodded, I thought, almost glumly, and I could not help but ask, and what about year twenty-one? A smile came on his face, and he almost puffed up with pleasure. Ah, yes, that was a little problem, but we've got that one fixed too, eh, Irma? Again, Irma nodded a light smile in agreement. You see, we decided that although we are both quite fit now, we must be realistic that either of us may go sick at any time, and medical costs would ruin the budget plan. So we decided that whoever is unlucky enough to be afflicted will do the honourable thing so as not to drain the resources for the other. Then, almost applauding his own foresight, added, And, of course, the added benefit is that the remaining spouse will gain a few extra years by living as a single person. It took me a while to fully understand what he had said, and I repeated stupidly, The honourable thing? Fraser nodded. Yes, yes. While still capable, the ailing partner will take into his or own hands to release the other partner. Ah, you mean divorce? I was still obtuse. Divorce? At our age? Good heavens, no. That would be costly and not solve a thing. No, we've decided on a more permanent release. I looked at him in stupefaction, but he had gone off to talk with other guests, Irma trailing behind him. Had I fully understood him? Was it possible that he really thought that he and his wife would take matters into their own hands on the first onslaught of debilitating sickness, I looked at him in his robust health, and mouse like Irma slumped and fading. I could not help but anticipate rather grimly which of the two would go first. But I was wrong. It was only a few months later that I received a card notifying me of Douglas Fraser's unexpected death, although there were no further details. At the funeral reception, Irma was solemn but dry-eyed and looking surprisingly well in her black shapely suit. I muttered my condolences, which she received graciously. Still perplexed, I tentatively asked my niece of the reason for Fraser's sudden demise. But surely you read about it in the papers, she asked, her voice high-pitched with drama. It was most unfortunate and unexpected. I reminded her I had been overseas during the last few weeks and had therefore not kept up with local news. It was food poisoning. 
in time. Salmonella. Luckily, she wasn't affected as she's a vegetarian. But the processing company took full responsibility. I express surprise at such a happening in today's age. Oh, yes, I agree. But in all fairness, the manufacturer did the right thing and circulated information everywhere. They were offering treble refunds for all suspect tins returned. But of course, Douglas thought newspapers and television a waste of money, and it was just unfortunate that Irma never heard about it on the radio news. We looked over to the grieving widow, who was now chatting to a group of mourners, and my niece and I agreed that Irma was being exceptionally brave under the circumstances. Then my niece said, Ah, but then the Lord works in mysterious ways. Seeing my raised eyebrows, she went on in a conspiratorial whisper. Well, it isn't common knowledge, and she kept it from Uncle Douglas, but Irma discovered she had a lump on her breast a few weeks ago. Quickly, she added, Oh, it's nothing too serious, but she will need a small operation and a few days in hospital. I began to murmur how commonplace these operations were nowadays, and she said, Yes, but Irma had been so worried, you see, because Uncle Douglas was too mean to pay for medical insurance. In the light of past conversations, I could see Irma's problem. But then my niece's face lit up as she said animatedly, That's why it's so wonderful. The food company is paying considerable sums of money in compensation. Auntie didn't want to take it, of course, said she wanted to do the honourable thing and refused, seeing as how she hadn't heard the warnings. But the food company absolutely insisted. Then my niece added with a smile, The sweet old-fashioned darling will be better off now than she has ever been. You have been listening to The Honourable Thing. Written and dramatised by Brianda Cross and performed by John Cross. Don't forget, if you would like to know more about the Fast Fiction Podcasts, please go to fastfictionpodcasts.com. Thank you.